3: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And on today's show, we are interviewing Jim and Gary Boomer. Ron, how are you doing? Happy New Year.
2: You too, Ed. I'm doing great.
3: Well, I'm I'm here in snowy Dallas. I just returned from the store getting milk and bread.
2: I um, saw pictures of snowflakes. I couldn't believe it. On your yeah, phone. yeah,
3: we. It's a. It's about a quarter of an inch, so that's enough to close the city. Uh, wow. Yeah, especially because since we're about to release the, the the children from school, and you know, you would you would think literally the sky is falling. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely a riot. I bet. <laughs> But we are honored today, Ron, to have with us two of the folks who are considered to be in the top 100 most influential people in accounting from Accounting Today, and that is the father and son team of Gary and Jim Boomer. They, Well, their organization, Boomer Consulting, has been around for quite some time. We're going to be asking them a little bit more about that in our first segment here, but they, their mission is to provide strategic technology and management consulting to a, the accounting profession through supportive relationships and knowledge-sharing communities. And I've had the, the honor and privilege to be a part of, of some of their stuff in the last couple of years, as I know you have as well. And it's, it's, just, it's always fun because they do a, attract some of the, 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 the best minds from anyone in the accounting profession. So we're honored. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Gary and Jim Boomer.
1: Well, thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to be
3: here. And Gary, let's start with you. So you're, this is, and I, you know, I can't read your whole bio because that would be the entire first segment. Um, ju- just, just highlighting the last couple of years, 2014 IPA Most Recommended Consultants, 2014 CPA Practice Advisor Thought Leader, 2015 AICPA Sustained Contribution Award, and 2016 Accounting Today's Top Most Influential People. How many years in a row is that for you on that list?
1: You know, I really don't know. I hate to admit, <laughs> but it's quite a few. <laughs> I think maybe it's since inception. But uh-huh. I've, I've always said they really base it on frequent flyer miles. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the, the true criteria. The true criteria. Ti- well well, you know what? So so let's tell our audience a little bit about yourself and and then then the origins of boomer consulting.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to Uh, I am a CPA. I was a partner in a 50-person firm until 20 years ago, and I'd actually started the consulting company while in the firm, and our focus was on the larger accounting firms, primarily in the technology and practice management arena. But one of the things I learned quickly was when you started looking at technology and really got into the firms, there were not only... Technology and practice management issues, there were talent issues, there were growth issues, and there were uh, process issues. So I could see that I wasn't capable of dealing with all that and to really help our clients. We have put together a team over the past several years, and that's really been what's driven our growth is addressing those areas and having top people leading uh, those areas of our practice. I never wanted to be a sole practitioner, I guess, is what I'm telling you.
3: <laughs> you, you you're too lonely? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I I like thought leaders and I like being around people that are smarter than I am. And so I've been fortunate there.
3: And to that end, I'm going to bring Jim in, who is also your son. Uh, welcome to the, to the Soul of Enterprise, Jim.
4: Thanks, Ed. Glad to be here.
3: And you are the CEO of of Boomer Consulting, and uh, I think I'll just repeat the list. So you know that your dad was on, um, but you've 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 done a lot of work in your own light. What's what's your background? Hey, you're also a CPA, but what what uh, brought you to this this business?
4: Yeah, so uh y- you know I grew up around the business and probably my first stint um uh, ironically was as the uh shredder at the accounting firm that Gary mentioned earlier. <laughs> um and and I say ironically because after undergrad I actually went and started my career at Arthur Anderson, Um and so that was after <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Um uh, you know that was the, I was the butt of jokes um after after the unfortunate Enron events but I was there during that time um got amazing experience and then actually went over in a group hire um on the consulting side to Bearing Point, um mm. and did another stint there eventually went back to get my MBA um during that time we kicked the tires of will this work as a a, a father son working together cause as, as I get questions about how I do it, I, I often hear people go, there's no way I could work with my father or my mother or, you know, whoever it is. And I yeah. said, well, you know, you know, we made sure we didn't strangle each other in that first six month period. Um, and when it was, when it was good to go, um, I came back about a little over 10 years ago to, to join him. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an amazing opportunity that he's, uh, laid out not only for me, but as you mentioned, you know, our entire team um, has, has an amazing uh, opportunity to carry the torch from what he started.
3: Well, I'm, I'm just going to ask you a question. This is kind of deep, and, and it's a little bit on the spot, I suppose, but I, I've always been fascinated by the whole Arthur Anderson and Enron situation, and I, I just wanted to ask you just, just from a leadership standpoint, maybe this was some learning for you, what was it like either at that time or the, the day when all of this broke, th- to think that you were part of this organization that had really messed up from, a, from an ethical standpoint. It must have been hard.
4: Uh, it was challenging, and it, it, got, it got more difficult as every day passed. I remember our one, uh, one advocate in the media was Lou Dobbs. So <laughs> every afternoon you'd be lo- watching the big screen in the, in the lobby as Lou Dobbs lobbied for us. Um, while everyone else talked bad about us. But you started out thinking, oh, this is a, a Houston audit problem. Oh, this is a Houston office problem. Okay, maybe it's the whole audit practice. And then it's, oh, it's it's Arthur Anderson as a whole. Um, so, you know, it, it got bigger and bigger. And it it was definitely a learning experience to see how leadership responded, how communication was handled, how important it is is to get a a message out, um, a consistent message out, because that was a challenge. Um, but it was certainly a learning experience.
3: And, and I'm sure you've taken that with you to to what the work that you do now with with accountants as well. So, hey, Gary, I want to bring you bring you back in on this and and just say I know that on the subject of leadership. I've heard you say a number of times that the the big difference between the good and the great firms uh, is, is this concept of leadership. What what does that mean to you? What is the the concept of leadership specifically in a a an accounting firm, or better yet, let's broaden it out a little bit and say in a not in a knowledge organization? What does leadership mean?
1: Well, I think it means everything to a professional service company, and that there are three criteria of how you can add value. Leadership is the first, and I'll come back to explain that. Relationships are the second. And the final one is creativity. And with leadership, you have direction. And if you have direction and you have relationships, then you get opportunities. And when you get those opportunities, if you're creative, you can be innovative and solve their needs and add value. And uh, and too many firms are trying to go in too many directions and they just don't have a good leader that's strong enough to keep them from chasing every shiny object that's out there. And I know even in our small company, we've got 16, 17 people now. Uh, we have to be careful each year as we plan. And so what we're going to continue to do, what we're going to harvest, what we're going to plant for the future And then what we're going to plow up and and just quit doing. And it's hard for firms to quit doing things. And that's one of the biggest challenges they have today is too many firms have clients that just are only buying one service from them. And they have to spend a lot of touches in providing that. So I'm very big on leadership and developing leadership throughout the organization.
3: I, the big challenge, and I see, I see this too, is, and I think it was, is Steve Jobs at Apple who said something like, uh, "You know, I'm more, I'm more, almost most proud of what Apple has not done." And uh, I, I just, I just wonder why. Do Do you think that that is unique to accounting firms or CPA firms that they, they, they chase that shiny, shiny new thing, or they tend to chase that shiny new thing more? Or is, is that just a universal thing and, it, and you just deal with it when you ma- in, in the manifestation of a CPA firm?
1: Well, what I see is the larger firms who've been through multiple generations have a pretty good process for that. Uh, it's being challenged, though, as we see more and more mergers into their culture. But the smaller firms, as they go through the first generation, many of those people were rugged individualists and they did what it took and they weren't really team players. Today, clients require a team approach, and many of the rugged individualists are having trouble adopting to that. And growing, they can grow so large, and then they're just limited.
3: Jim, any any additional thoughts on that? As as you see it, is is there is it is it challenging just for CPA firms to to limit that that strategy to? Hey, what are we going to say no to? Or do you think it's a more universal problem?
4: I think every business has that challenge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you see an opportunity, you wanna you wanna go take advantage of that, but you've got to you've got to keep in mind what your core strategy is and what your core competencies are. And you know, we talk, we obviously do strategic planning as one of our services, but we live it and breathe it, and we're very committed yeah. to not only annually doing that, but that keeps us focused on on what we will do and what we won't do. But, you know, you look at accounting firms and I'd say the thing that's, that's somewhat unique is there's a lot of um, follow the herd mentality. And I think some of that comes from a, a more conservative profession that don't want to get burned by being bleeding edge. So watch out for what the peers are doing and then follow along. And some of that can lead to chasing a shiny object just because everybody else is.
3: Mm. It, it could also be a, a perhaps a challenge in innovation if you're waiting for somebody else to lead, right? So that, that might definitely. be a big problem. well this is this is great for that. this is going this is flying by already, but we want to remind our audience that you can get a hold of Ron or myself at Ask. T-S-O-E at Verisage.com. Please also pay attention to our website, enterprise.com, where you can access full show notes and listen to any of the previous shows that we've had, as well as our archive page. And please keep those reviews on both Amazon and, of course, on, on uh, iTunes coming those are, those are the, the, the intellectual capital. Those are the, 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 the coinage that we take with us. So really appreciate those reviews. Uh, but right now, we're going to take a, a break and hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
0: we're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with the dynamic duo, father-son team of Gary and Jim Boomer of Boomer Consulting. It's great to have you guys on the show. Thank you so much for, for being here. Jim, I'll, 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 uh, I'll start with you and um, you know I heard Joe Woodard refer to your father as the Pied Piper of the top 100 firms <laughs> and I know that you, you work with a lot of, of the big firms and so you have an interesting perch uh, uh, on view of the profession. What do you think are some of the major trends happening in the profession and what are the biggest opportunities and challenges you see facing the profession?
4: It's a great question. Um, I think many of the opportunities are also also challenges. Um, you know, you look at at how the profession has operated in, over the years, and historically, it's been driven and 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 positively by um, you know work that is very transactional and compliance based. Um, but as Within our world, focused on technology, as you see technology start to come in there, you see the writing on the wall that that much of of what's been done in the historically can be automated through technology. And so that is an opportunity to sort of move upstream. and we often use the the phrase playing above the line uh, to move beyond just transactional and compliance work to truly, Become a trusted business advisor. I know it's an overused tagline, um, but but it's about um, you know providing more advisory and consultative services. That at the same time is a challenge (laughs) because it is a complete. It's not just about technology. It's about the team, the talent, the business model, um, marketing, sales. All these things are different than what accounting firms have done in the past. So I, I think that is a huge one. Staying in the lines of technology, I think increased automation, uh, big data. Uh, you look at uh, blockchain and the impact that that could potentially have on, on the profession. All of these things are, could, could be very disruptive.
2: Excellent. Jim, I want to come back to that um, after I give Gary a chance to answer the question, because I, I know you've got an interesting perspective moving from A8 and then to Bearing Point. And I want to talk more about the, you know, what you guys call above the line services. But Gary, what do you think are, are some of the major trends that you see out there and what are the big challenges and opportunities?
1: Well, certainly the number of mergers and the continuation emergers mergers uh, is a challenge, it's also an opportunity. But I would say one of the biggest challenges is to get the profession to really realize that if they wanna stay relative in the future, they're going to have to make some of those changes now, not later. And when you talk to these larger firms, partner income continues to rise, even though they have issues with talent. And um, when partners are in an increasing income stream, it's difficult to get them to change and sit down and view the vision and the future. And I think the clients are going to force that by one, commoditizing the services more, uh, the technology's really doing that. And then I think we're going to need more diversity and inclusion in the profession in order to get the talent we need and meet the needs of the clients. So talent, certainly their uh, leadership is part of that. Who's going to lead these large firms and have the vision that they can remain successful and future ready is the question.
2: And, and just on that leadership point, Gary, because I, 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 again, like I said, we've, I've heard you say that leadership is what separates the mediocre firms from the great firms. Do you see a bold enough vision coming from these leaders? I mean, I hear a lot about increasing realization by four points. I don't hear anything that is truly inspiring.
1: That, that is a real issue, is that they've been used to selling hours, and I'm sure I can get you off on that pretty quick. But uh, when you do that, it's tough to be entrepreneurial. And clients are looking for entrepreneurial firms, and those are the firms that take resources to a higher level of value, whereas bureaucratic firms take resources to a lower level, and they can't just continue to work their people harder and do what they've done, even though they've been making good money at it. They have to have this vision. There definitely are some people out there that have the vision, are doing a good job, but there also will be some of the top hundred that I don't believe will be around in five to 10 years.
2: Hmm. Well, you know, you made a good point about when the partner income is increasing, it's, it's hard to get them to change. I and mean, I think Richard Susskind wrote in the end of lawyers that it's very difficult to get millionaires to change their business model. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I think is well,
1: and, and we, we've got some of those in the profession, you know, sure. and, 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 uh, when they're at their end of the career and the buyout formula is based upon your average earnings over the last five years, you're just naturally going to maximize that earnings rather than shift the work to a lower level and develop people. You're going to try to maximize your deferred compensation benefits. So that's a challenge for these larger firms, how the ownership is transitioned in the future and I don't believe the formulas are going to hold like they did years ago when many of these practices were mostly assurance based and they had clients that would stay for year, years instead of bidding out the audit every year. So we're in a different business today than we were five years ago and we're going to be in a different business five years from today.
2: Right. You know, getting back, Jim, to your point about the advisory services, the what you guys again call the above-the-line services. You know, we've been hearing this for decades in the profession. I mean, we had the Vision Project out of the AICPA telling you to move to level five services, and you know, results accountants, and Paul Dunn and Rick Payne have been talking about this, and there's a lot of others. that have been talking about it for decades. I see a lot of talk, but do you guys see a lot of movement towards? I mean, real foresight type advisory services rather than just hindsight or insight? I mean, it seems to me like the accounting profession in the big firms are still playing the role of historian with bad memories. Do you see a lot of movement in advisory services? Jim, I'll start with you.
4: Um, Within our client base, we probably see more than across the profession. Um, It, it goes back to what you guys were just exchanging on this whole attitude of things have been so good in the past and it's hard to change. It's hard to change millionaires. Um, So getting them to shift their mindset from the way things used to be is is a challenge, but we see more and more firms each year that the light bulb comes on, um, that this is different this time. Because the technology is there. I don't think it was ready when, it, over the last decades where people have been talking about it, um, it was it, it was on the horizon, but it wasn't there. But you look at the level of automation, and it, it's either change or be replaced by those technologies. So with the firms that we work with, we've actually got a whole community that's based on this this concept. And we see some real entrepreneurial firms that understand it and and know that they have to move up above the line.
2: Excellent. And and Gary, what about you? What's your perspective on that?
4: Well,
1: the, the two answers that I get when I ask firms of all sizes why they aren't doing this, their number one answer is we don't have time. And I respond to that. In other words, you're telling me there are hundred dollar bills laying on your desk, but you're stooping over and picking up the dollar bills off the floor because that's what you've always done. And they say, you know, that's probably a good analogy. And I says, it's a great analogy. Why don't you change? And they say, well, our people just aren't comfortable providing strategic and performance advice. They've been trained to be accurate and deal with history. And I said, You're going to have to get a different set of skills or change the mindset. So I say there are three things to get above the line, mindset, skill set, and tool set. Jim mentioned the tool set is much better getting better every day. The skill set, these young people that are coming out of college have the skill set. I'm confident of that. It's the mindset that we have to change. And um, you have to balance current profits with future readiness. And that's a challenge when you have multiple owner personal service companies.
2: And do you think that means they have to broaden the labor pool from which they draw rather than just hiring accountants, hire MBAs, hire other people with other types of experience rather than just the accountants?
1: Absolutely, these advisory services require new tools. For example, project management tools, CRM. Those are all different tools, so why wouldn't you have to have different skills? And if you build a unique ability team where you have data analytics, marketing and sales, accounting, uh, business management, the strategy and vision, and all those components into a team, you're going to have a company that's going to survive and be there 10, 20, 100 years from today. And that's the challenge of not just looking at this month's numbers or production and look at where you're going to be over the next three years, five years, and have a vision that everyone buys into. And it's got to be exciting. If you don't think big, it's tough to get people to follow you. Uh, and too many of these firms are thinking three, five percent growth. That's good because their peers, that's all they're growing.
2: Right. Yeah, without vision, the people will perish. <laughs>
4: True. And, and Ron, the only the other thing I'd add, I mean, if you look at what the big four are doing, and e- even in the, the top 30 firms, there's more and more of these non-accounting background hires that are taking place. Some of that out of necessity, but, but also out of the realization that they're going to have to change in the future.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. You know, for as much as we like to pick on the big four, I mean, they do very, they do some very things very innovatively. They're very innovative in some areas. It, it, you know, the Suskin book points out, The Future of the Professions, points out that the big four consulting revenue is projected to exceed the big three McKinsey and Accenture and Bain in the coming years. Um, and and when I when I see when I look over the top one hundred or the top fifty firms and you look at the percentage of their revenue that comes from consulting, that's usually much higher than when you start looking at the bottom two hundred or the next layer down. It seems like the profession talks a great game about moving into these advisory services, but when you actually look at the where their revenue comes from, it's still mostly compliance. Would would you agree with that, the the divide between the big and the small firms?
4: I would. For the most part, yeah. I, I mean, I think there are, I think the advantage of, a, of some of the smaller firms is if they get it and they're entrepreneurial, they can steer that ship in, the, in, the, in a different direction much easier than some of these larger firms.
2: Sure, sure. No, I agree they, with that. I,
3: bingo, ahead.
1: right there. That's your leadership. You have good leadership. I don't care what size, you're going to focus on the needs of the clients and do what's right.
2: Right, right. You know, ever since I worked with Paul and Rick at, at RAS, and this goes way back, but it just dawned on me how, how what a challenge it is to get this profession to move over from compliance to reliance services, because it seems like we're, we're paid now to, to, to be the expert to answer questions, whereas consultants are paid for the questions. And I think that's a really difficult mind shift for the profession to wrap its head around. But anyway, you guys, this is a fantastic discussion. And I know we'll come back and we'll get uh, Ed back in here and we'll, we'll continue on. And he'll probably talk to you about blockchain and triple entry accounting and all sorts of other stuff. <laughs> but now, folks, we'd like to remind you, uh, you can check out our full show notes and we'll post um, where you can get a hold of Gary and Jim on our show notes at the soul of And when we come back, Ed, will continue the discussion with the uh, boomers.
5: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com.
4: 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com.
5: The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
3: Their mission is to provide strategic technology and management consulting to the accounting profession through supportive relationships and knowledge-sharing communities. We are talking today with Gary and Jim Boomer of Boomer Consulting. Uh, again, thrilled to have you guys so much. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to uh, talk a little bit about future and innovations and and. The, the thing that's that's on my mind uh, and and as well as a lot of folks is this this whole blockchain stuff, blockchain, Bitcoin um, and uh, and what that is going to mean, uh, both for the accounting profession, but also just for business in general. So, Gary, let me th- let me talk to you. What what are your what is your thinking when you hear blo- blockchain? What where does that first take your mind? What does what, what it what does it mean to you? Well, it
1: means that it's going to be very disruptive to the accounting profession. And uh, I'm really concerned that many in the profession don't understand it or are dismissing it as something that's not significant. But it's probably the most significant piece of technology that's come along since the spreadsheet and its implication to the accounting profession. And I like to explain the internet and bring the internet into this because we've had an internet of information for 20 years and with blockchain, we can have an internet of value where transactions are secure, where you know the, uh, that the transaction has been made and that it's not somebody selling multiple items or one item multiple times. It's pinning it to the exact user and that transaction is verified every 10 minutes approximately and that's each block makes up the chain. So if you verify all these transactions uh, as you go throughout the process, there's no need to go back and audit it. And in many cases, the blockchain includes the contract or the terms of the contract. And I think music is a great example that uh, some of the experts use with regard to the blockchain is if I download music from the internet, I can probably use that today for anything I want. But with the blockchain, I would probably have to pay something different if I was just going to play it in my home or if I was going to use part of it for a ringtone. But if I was going to use it in my business's background music, I would have to pay a different royalty. That can all be handled by the blockchain, and we don't have that today with any other system. So it takes auditors and people power to go verify those transactions, and it's very expensive. And I'm probably gone further than I should even here, but it's something that you really need to read and learn about if you're in the accounting profession.
3: And and Jim, let me bring you in on this and and ask you your 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 thoughts on blockchain and specifically what what we're your uh, Gary was just talking about and that is uh, why do you think it's th- that so many accountants, especially the the smaller and and midsize, uh, when I talk to them, it's it's not a question of dismissing it. They in a lot of cases they know nothing about it, like absolutely mm-hmm. nothing.
4: <laughs> yes, yes, we are early stage in this profession of knowing, even knowing the word, <laughs> the term <laughs> blockchain. Um, but, but what we're finding is, as you said, they're, they're receptive to learning, but it's, and we've said for a long time, it's what you don't know that you don't know that can cost you a lot of time and money. Um, and in this case, it could cost you your job. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I think there's a real willingness to learn, but it is, it is a very complex concept um, but beyond what Gary said in terms of the importance of it and why it could be such a disruptor here is, in addition to to you know verifying those the the whole security area, which is top of list of of every firm we talk to, and I can understand why you see hacks all the time. We just went through the election, and and now we've got Russia hacking our our uh, or meddling in our election process um but so everybody's top of mind security but if you look at uh, at underpinning as a blockchain it's nearly impossible to hack i mean with the distributed nature of it and the power of the computing that they're using can not be matched by any person or organization so i think there's a real security element to this too that gives a lot of uh, lets people um be comforted by the fact that, that, that what they're seeing is legitimate.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it really is a fascinating uh, topic, and, and, I, and, and as Gary said, it, you know, it, at some point, if the, the blockchain gets implemented as we even can envision it today, it either means one of two things. The audit becomes N equals all, meaning all transactions are, are, are included, or really the N, meaning the sample size, is none because it's unnecessary, right mm-hmm. yep <laughs> either way the audit goes away <laughs> and that's 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 got to be a little disheartening i, I want to shift a little bit and and another technology scenario for you i'm sure you're familiar uh, and i don't know if you maybe even have one at home the, the you know google's um, or amazon i'm sorry the echo and and hey alexa you know buy uh, buy flowers for my wife because i just lit the house on fire have you seen those commercials <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just wondering, can, can you see a day when it's, okay, it's, and we, we all laugh at those, but it's, you know, hey, hey Alexa, is it, where, what's the name of the nearest CPA firm who can handle X, right? And will accountants be ready for that or beyond that, one step beyond that? just asking alexa the question that they would normally ask the cpa and getting yeah. a response right and some implementation of say i don't know ibm watson now connected through alexa is is, is i mean that 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 i think that's completely game changing <laughs> thoughts on that is that something you thought about well and i'll go, yeah. go let's stay with jim and then we'll go to gary
4: yeah, it's definitely another area that's going to be very disruptive. I think right now we're, we're, we're seeing the beginning stages of this whole <clears> idea <throat> of consumerization in this area. Um, you know, the beginning where, where people have application in their personal life, but there's already firms that are looking at this and saying, how does this apply Uh, within the accounting profession, what's the impact going to be and, you know, bringing the big four in (laughs) again, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly, uh, they're certainly looking at this there. Um, So I think it's game changing. It's, it's game changing in people's personal lives as well as their professional lives. And it's going to have specific implications with, uh, with accountants as well.
3: Gary,
1: well, the only thing that saved you, Ed, was that I have my headset on or Alexa would have lit up on my desk here when you <laughs> talked
3: about it. But Why I, do you think I, I said Alexa, not Siri? Because if I said Siri, <laughs> then my phone goes off. That's yeah, Right. <laughs> but if you take those
1: two, those are a consumer version. But think of IBM Watson and what's happening right there. Um, th- this is going to be a game changer of how you research the tax code and the tax code is going to change. And I think blockchain ties with this voice recognition uh, here in that tax is not exempt from blockchain. I want to make that point because think how our whole tax collection system could be based on transactional and it could be real time and you wouldn't have all these uh entities that you had to file with you could have a clearing house that would clear all those but um, Alexa and Siri and Watson and I see Alexa lit up just as (laughs) as I mentioned her name (laughs) but I gave uh, I gave Jim I gave his brother one uh, several months ago and their kids certainly enjoyed asking questions to them I don't know about Jim and and his wife mary but uh they're certainly being used and it was a popular christmas gift
4: well and i'm going to bring up the same point i did on blockchain i, I think you know that's going to bring challenges with it around the security i i just read a article yesterday that made me go and put a four-digit code on ordering from alexa um, there was a little girl well the parents a uh, high dollar dollhouse and a tin of sugar cookies showed up, um, without them ordering it, uh, only to find out that their five-year-old daughter had asked Alexa to bring her those things and she complied. So, um, you know, that's a fun, lighthearted example, but you think about, um, critical information. If it's, if it's, uh, going through there, I think that's another area that they're going to have to uh, it's going to be a challenge that, that have to be figured out before it becomes mainstream, but I, with that said, it'll get figured out.
3: Well, I, I sent Ron just before we got on the air, I don't know, if, did you guys see this, that Alexa is, has been subpoenaed in a murder trial in Arkansas? <laughs> yes. yes,
4: indeed. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <That.
3: laughs> So she
1: she may be the smartest witness they have there.
3: (laughs) You know, but, you know, this this brings up another thing is, you know, it 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 clearly means that 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 Alexa and Siri, they're always listening. Right. But are they always recording? And that's that that really is is what uh, is is of concern. And, you know, and that, and that just goes to a whole another can of worms with regard to 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 conversations that are happening in, in businesses, and can, can they can those records then be subpoenaed when we find out that oh yeah, there was some kind of shenanigans going on in this organization, and uh, and that, oh, it turns out that they had the, the uh, smartphones that were sitting there in the meeting, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> So interesting stuff. Well, we're up against our time here, so I'm and I'm uh, I'm remiss. I was going to ask you guys about uh, timesheets, so I'm going to have to defer that to my my friend Ron Baker. He'll have to grill you on the the subject of timesheets after our break. But we want to remind everybody that you can get a hold of Ron or myself. Ask TSOE at VerisAge.com. and please do participate with us on Twitter. That the handle is at ask tsoe and you can also use hashtag ask tsoe and ron and i do monitor that relatively closely so if you have a question for us at any point we'd love to answer that for you uh take a look at the website the soul of enterprise but right now we want to hear from our sponsor and my employer sage
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America trn Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S., these are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today.
5: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
0: are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well,
2: welcome back, everybody. We're here with Gary Boomer and his son, Jim Boomer, from Boomer Consulting. And guys, I w- wanted to drive down from the macro to the micro and talk about in specific firms, you know, our, our good mutual friend Tom Hood always talks about you know, the rate of learning and the rate of change inside your firm isn't matching what's going on outside of your firm, then you've got a problem. And we always hear about change management and how important it is to change. And there's a lot of things that are potentially disrupting the profession. You know, this move to cloud accounting, the blockchain that you talked about in the last segment, uh... We could talk about value pricing. We could talk about getting rid of the timesheet, knowledge management. Uh, even the annual performance appraisal is, is, uh, has been scrapped by Deloitte after they figured out that they were spending 2 million hours a year doing these things and they weren't improving performance. And, and I guess my question is, you see all these change initiatives. Do, do you see much innovation in terms of the management ideas of running a firm it's one thing to change a business model or a product or service, but you know the professor Gary Hamill wrote a book called the, uh, the Future of Management where he said management itself has stopped innovating. We're not introducing new ideas like getting rid of performance appraisals or implementing after-action reviews like they did in the U.S. military. Do you see more change in management ideas and management philosophy these days?
1: Well, I'll start, Jim, and you can add on to this. But the answer to that is yes, in the larger firms that we deal with. And I'm, I'm going to mention one in specific that has spent quite a little time on their innovation and how they're going to drive that. And the firm is BKD, and their former CIO is now a new CIO, Chief Info- or chief Innovation Officer. And his job is really to assess the needs within the firm, finance the projects, uh, prioritize the projects, make sure they have the right project managers in place and solicit suggestions for innovation. And there's a great article coming out of Harvard Business Review, probably 2014, 2015, about the job description for a chief innovation officer. And that job description has to be constantly moving because sometimes you have way too many ideas for innovation. Other times you don't have enough. So one day you have to be soliciting. The next day you have to be prioritizing. And then you have the whole people and talent management thing that you just refer to. So firms are trying to get better at this. Uh, Jim and I conducted a a firm summit for a large firm, Hogan Taylor, in Oklahoma this past year, had all their partners, some of their managers, key people in the firm. And it was a very uh, inspiring day for them to see how they can miss out on opportunities if they don't have someone in charge. In other words, if everyone's looking out for innovation, Perhaps no one's really taking charge. So I'll stop there and let Jim kind of fill in the blanks.
4: Yeah, no, those are those are all great points. The thing I would would add um, is I think we see leaders recognizing that innovation comes from all levels and making it easy for people to be heard and make suggestions of of how to change things and make things better. Um, you know, we've been part of a, a program called Strategic Coach for, for years. Gary and Sandra for for twenty plus years, I've been in it, um, coming up on ten years here, but they have a whole concept of the bubbling company that if you just think in your own area how you can um improve ten times, even if it's small, even if it's seems like it's an inconsequential part of the overall success, if everybody does that, that's where you get exponential um, improvement in results. So I, I think this whole idea of it not being a top-down, uh, dictated leadership model and allowing others to be involved is another change that we're
2: seeing more and more of. Right. And I'd be remiss, you guys, if I didn't ask you for your perspective. What's going on with value pricing inside the top 100 firms? And there's a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of experimentation. But are, are is the leadership really ready to embrace this? I mean, everybody knows the problems with the billable hour. So why haven't the big firms... I'd love to see one of the big four do it, because I think there's a lot of copycat you know, behavior in our yeah. profession. If one did it, the, the rest would probably follow in tow, just like they did with the performance appraisals. But what do you see going on with value pricing?
1: Well, I guess um, from my perspective is there's a lot of talk about it, but most of the larger firms are really fearful of how they can implement, it, and they lack the confidence to pull the trigger. But one of the things that I learned a long time ago that if you're going to be an entrepreneurial company and if you're going to deal with entrepreneurs, they're not used to a dollar-based, time-based hours or time, hours times dollars based economy. They're, were, they're used to the results economy. And that's what is happening today. And the smaller firms, it's not as monumental a task to make those change. I'll tell you, I came out of a fifty-person CPA firm, and if you didn't get your timesheet in every day, uh, you, you know you were either penalized or uh, you know reprimanded in some way. And we haven't kept timesheets for twenty years in our consulting company because we are entrepreneurial. And I think a lot of what went into those timesheets was not the time, a lot that went in of value was more the project management and the opportunities for future sales. And therefore we think that the tools that many firms are using need to change and that will allow the management to have more confidence For example, we had 30-some CIOs in a meeting uh, a couple of months ago, and they determined that the practice management systems we have really are having difficult being the single source of truth, so perhaps CRM should be that single source of truth and have the capabilities to integrate other applications on top of that, and uh, there was a great discussion, and I think we are seeing more serious conversation than we have in the past but it probably hasn't moved as quickly in the large firms as what you would like or i would like to see
4: yeah and ron i think uh you know the 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 whole herd mentality is so true it'll be it'll be interesting to see if one of the larger firms does it how many of them jump on board but i i think the daunting task for many of them is they've got to learn a different way of leading and managing their firm. So much of how people are measured is based on that hour. And I remember the frustration as a staff at, at Arthur Anderson, and bearing point of, I had no control over my chargeable hours yet. That was how I was measured. Um, and so I, I think it's daunting to think that you've got to to measure different things, and you've got to manage differently, and you've overall got to lead the firm differently.
2: Couldn't agree more. And they just seem to be doubling down on the timesheet. Well, you guys, listen, thank you so much. We're out of time, unfortunately, so we're definitely going to have to have you back at some point. But thank you, Gary. Thank you, Jim, for coming on the Soul of Enterprise. Really appreciate it. Ed, what's up next week?
3: Next week, Ron, we're going to have one in our Memorable Mentors series, and this time we're going to go all the way back to the 1800s, 1801 to 1850, and we're going to talk about Frederick Bastiat, one of our early mentors, and if you want to follow along with us, get a hold of their book at, uh, at or the the Essential Frederick Bastiat at FEE, fe org.
2: Excellent. See you in 167 hours, Ed.
3: This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free and visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.